All right, we are rolling now. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hello there, Misketeers. Welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences, things that have built us up as people, and we hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that's introspective. You do that intro, and I get this rush of euphoria. You, you doing podcast intros is the real taking ecstasy at your father's wake. Ooh, I'll take it. That's going to go on my resume now. Um, <laughs> uh, and today we are joined by a special guest, Chris James. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back. Thanks. Um, yeah, that was a good intro. Uh, I'm, I'm still kind of uh, working through it. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot in there. It's no, just, it's, it's like a, a lot to think about. <laughs> I think he said books. Did he say books? <laughs> but one could say a book is an experience. Some of those things overlap. I don't understand. Um, but uh, Chris, we're talking about your 2005 movie, In Memory of My Father. You must really have nothing to talk about uh, if we're going back that far. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I got to do new stuff, obviously. Um, but yeah, hey, great. <laughs> uh, sure, fuck it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you were the writer-producer. You starred in it. You directed it. Like, uh, it's it's rare that we get someone who does all the things for a single thing. Well, it, that's interesting because it seems like it's not too hard to find narcissists that significant where you live. Right, but I have to lure them into our, our uh, recording space. Really? Well, and yeah. not not for nothing, right? There's narcissism, but then there's narcissism plus follow through. Mm. Right. <laughs> that, that isn't a little different, yeah. Because <laughs> then our time becomes their time, you know. So, <laughs> um, but no, um, we we had chatted with you about this movie a little bit before. Um, and we thought it would be a good chance to kind of talk with you about the experience of making it and like what brought you to the point where, because there, there are other people in this that people might know. There's uh, Judy Greer, there's Jeremy Sisto. And so we really wanted to see what the, the run up to this was and how the idea came to be and really explore, uh, I guess, your process. Sure. Uh, I'm happy to talk about that, but I'm working through the distraction of the Jolly Rancher in my <laughs> mouth now. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I too have a Jolly Rancher in my mouth and I am moving it significantly everywhere it goes. <laughs> me too. I just can't so stop. I, yeah. See, uh, I have a wrapped Jolly Rancher in front of me, but I foresaw <laughs> this turn of events and elected to wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's why I just keep throwing to you guys is I will I'll put it somewhere. I'll throw and then I'll be like, move. All right. Well, we're back now. Uh, thank you. You're joining us. You're good. Like I'm perfectly content to experience these horrors vicariously through you guys. All right, Lex. Yeah. Maybe, then maybe you should yeah, be the one to talk. Uh, Lex, uh, what, is this, what, is, what is this movie about? Uh, so this movie, uh, Chris, stop me when I can't wait to hear what I can't wait to hear. So I can remember. Uh, so if I'm not very much mistaken, this is a film about a 
family, uh, a group of brothers who the, the patriarch of the family has just passed away. So the family convenes sort of at the home to stage a, a big wake where uh, their interpersonal relationships and personal dysfunctions lead to a, a series of uh, uh, dramatic and emotional instances. And also uh, there's there's uh, there's drugs. I mean, that's pretty much true. It's that's not pretty much No, that's a pretty good version of it. Potentially reductive, the, but the, the, part, the, the problem is, is I stopped, <laughs> I stopped hearing you after you used the word patriarch, which is in the first sentence, because I thought, no, no, there's no human outside of like critics or, or like people pitching stories in, in Hollywood that refer to a dad as a patriarch. Really, do you, is I don't, or I could be mistaken, and it's just my own disillusion. But do, do you hear people say, "Ah, the, our patriarch, this is his <laughs> birthday," so we're, we're, <laughs> we're true, not really colloquially. <laughs> no, I mean I hang out in a lot of like feminist circles, and we're just talking about the the patriarchy, ah, and yes. so I, I feel like if if you're like really in the mix, you could uh, be like, "Yeah, yeah, the patriarch, right." So, uh, so I'm going to go with you, sure. Yeah. So you checked out during the first sentence. <laughs> yes. So you will have to take my word for it that, <laughs> that I nailed well, your that's, that's why I said I, I, that's probably true Is what because I didn't really hear it. Uh, <laughs> so, but I, I, yeah, I got to patriarch, checked out, came back for relationship stuff, uh, so I think, and then uh, there were drugs. Yeah, I did yeah. say that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, can, I can say that. He nailed it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, I trust you. Uh, <laughs> um, so I feel like we will talk a little bit about kind of the, the production just a little bit, and then we'll drop the spoiler wall and really go into deep story breakdown. Yeah. Hell yeah. Deep story, deep fake video, like the same, <laughs> the similar, similar stuff. Okay. Uh, but yeah. So um, great. How, so this is documentary style. Um, the, the conceit is that the dying patriarch, mm. uh, wanted you to film his death. And so now we're following, um, his sons and the, their like assorted, like significant others. Um, and so how long did it take you to film this movie? This was a phenomena, which, uh, was shocking to me that the film was shot in, um, four days and a half okay uh and it's a feature <laughs> like so so it was moving rapidly but it was constructed very thoughtfully um all right so back it up a little bit basically um there was a guy who in the movie plays the dead father who's nude in the first scene um he uh he used to live in that mansion Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, he would hire me sometimes to ghostwrite his mostly uh, stage plays. And one day he said, Hey, uh, I'm selling the mansion, but we should make a movie in it before I move out. So if you come up with an idea, uh, let's do it. But I got to move out in two months. So we don't have a lot of time. Yeah. And I said, oh, oh, great. Yeah, I'll just throw something together. And um, I walked away and forgot about it. And the next few days, it was, it was lingering in my head. And uh, there was a, a screening of this old um, Luis Buñuel movie called The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. 
and I was having a revival screening at the Fine Arts Theater, which is on Wilshire. And um, it was Thursday night, and I realized, oh, no, the, the it's going to end tomorrow and be gone because a new movie's coming. And so I jumped in the car, and I drove over there. And as I sat in the theater and started watching it, the first sequence is are these French people that are trying to take their friends out to dinner, and they keep talking up this place of how amazing it is. And they enter, and... There's a, a like a dead body in a coffin on display on the entryway. And they're like, oh, wow, what's going on? Sorry, you guys closed? And they're like, no, no, it's a, our family. Somebody died, but uh, we're open. And so, so they said, oh, is it, and they talked to each other. Is this weird that we stay here for dinner? And they talk them into staying. So the whole time they're sitting there trying to eat, but they can't get over the fact that there's an open casket over there right and uh so they end up leaving and all of a sudden i started to see the idea playing out in my head um and half hour later i realized i hadn't seen the movie much like your introduction of my movie but they said patriarch in the first scene and i right. was fucking out <laughs> <laughs> right same thing happened and i ran out i sat on the on the curb next to my car and i started writing with hand and paper notes <laughs> uh and just kept writing and I, I came up uh, with the script in about four days, and um, basically I based it on um, I, that previous summer uh, I had become friends with uh, you know you know who Bob Evans is, yes. yeah okay uh, so Robert Evans if you're listening and you don't know the name Robert Evans and we he just uh, he passed away very dead, recently yeah, yeah. Um, but Robert Evans is one of the most legendary producers in the history of Hollywood like his name is on uh, the Godfather Chinatown, Chinatown. he he took over. Uh, Paramount Studios, the the company was failing, and everybody thought it was going bad. So the shareholders just put him in there to let it fail. And then his first project out of the gate was Rosemary's Baby, yes. then a love story, and then it just kept going. Uh, he, uh, so, he wrote this autobiography called The Kid Stays in the Picture, which uh, I cannot recommend the audiobook version of this highly enough. <laughs> uh, listening yeah. to Robert Evans read his own stories, it, it, gave, it added at least three years to my life. It's really <laughs> amazing. And his stories are amazing. And so I had got invited to his house for a party that summer. Uh, for my, my guy I had met was his uh, assistant. And I got there and... It was insane. It was just a good time. And, and uh, there was a theater in the back, which eventually burned down. And uh, in the back of this theater, like every weekend, the Paramount would send the 35 millimeter prints to, to, of the new movies. And there was four chairs in the back of the room. And one was for him. One was for N Nicholson. One was for Dustin Hoffman. It was one was for Warren Beatty. At this specific time when I was invited, uh, Dustin... Uh, was not allowed to come because he, uh, Bob was mad at him for, because he thought he was making fun of him and wag the dog. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so things like this uh, were around me. And so I was in a surreal state and I just didn't leave much. I pretty much spent the whole summer there. And I played piano and they had a piano so I'd play and then they liked it that I was playing and all of a sudden I kind of just became a part of the the summer <laughs> and and uh so this house that that bob bob's house was very similar looking to this mansion that uh that david the the, the guy had was selling and so i went hmm and i knew bob 
so Bob was also the kind of guy who he would wear a mirrored cone out in the backyard and often talk about himself as a legend. And isn't the mirrored cone, isn't that the cover of the book? If I'm not mistaken, is him like in the deck chair sort of right, thing with right, the cone? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably that, yeah. Um, so, uh, so, and I quickly kind of, it just came together of like, oh, what if it was the day that hypothetically Bob Evans died and he had bribed his son, who he has a bad relationship with, to document it because he thinks it's going to be historically important. Mm. Uh, and, and that's how it started. And I just saw I, Bob being the dying dad and his house turning into a narcissistic, masochistic Hollywood party while his wake was going on because people forgot that he was lying there dead. Right. And I wrote it quickly based on the actor friends that I had at the time that I knew I could access and that were around. So it made it very easy to say, okay, here's, here's Jeremy. And he, he finds out this morning that his wife may leave him for a lesbian. And, and this person is this. And I, I just threw on a very quick, simple story for each person, put it on my wall, mapped it out. And four days later, I wrote that script and, and then I had about three weeks to produce it. So I, I wrote the script, brought all the actors there to the house. We read it. And everybody liked it and said, yeah, let's make it. And so uh, David goes, all right, let's do it. I love it. Um, will 30 grand be enough? And, <laughs> and I was like, um, no, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So that's how it started. So that made me go, hmm. And I put the script back up on the wall and I figured I can't afford to pay these people more than the SAG minimum, uh, low budget minimum. And what can I do to devise this to something doable? So I mapped it out how I could shoot in four days. I basically shot each, I separated everyone. So each storyline played out in a certain part of this mansion over the course of a night and I shot it basically like a play. Like we, we just did all of their part in one day. And then the other couple, I did all of their part in one day. And then I had the fourth day where all the scenes that we were all together in the house. So the party scenes, the piano scene, all of this stuff was just the fourth day. And, uh, and, and that's what I could inevitably afford for that much money. I could afford four days of shooting on these cameras that were like shitty cameras. They were not HD at the time, you know, because HD cameras then were still really expensive. Right. And, uh, and, and so I then fortunately had a good relationship with the actors and I had access to the house. So this is why I could make it work because the house became a living set. I, I, I set, everything pre-lit everything using you know all the the light the natural light that was coming from the house and i would change bulbs to get them brighter and stuff like that mm -hmm. and move the stuff in the room around so it was easy to maneuver and then would rehearse with the actors not that much we had maybe one or two days where i would i would i would put the actors in the room because say you guys figure it out and i'd go work with these actors in in the other room and then i'd come back with them and we'd work it out and we did this for a few days and then I had my camera department come in and I had drawn maps of where I think the camera setups would need to be. 
and we'd go through and practice and they'd see like with shitty cameras like okay does this work and so by the time we got to shooting uh we we finished early every day and had time to shoot lots of improv uh mm -hmm. it, it was shocking in the four days I shot, I ended up with about 112 hours of footage, I think. Wow. Oh, man. So I shot every scene with a minimum of two, sometimes three cameras, and uh, was just ended up with a big pile of shit. And I did not know what to do with it, and I didn't have any more money. I just had a trickle left over to uh, get a, you know, a Final Cut Pro, which had just come out. Right, okay. So that's, that's the basis of the the first section of how that happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And you self-edited as well? Not initially. Okay. Uh, I, I had, I had only edited, uh, 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 some dog videos and a, like a wedding video. Yeah. Uh, at this point in my life. And this is where the, the biggest first lesson I learned of, as I tried to avoid being a filmmaker, uh, I was I was working as an actor fine and and people would say uh, but okay it was let me explain it because it, it was at a transitional time yeah it was at a time where HD cameras started coming out mm -hmm. film festivals just started becoming a massive thing and you know in the late 90s mm -hmm. Final Cut Pro came out Apple started playing things opening up so you didn't just need Avid which took so much money and so forth and so on so it was this wave where in independent films, everybody had cameras. Right. They didn't have experience making things. So I had been acting in things and I had more experience as an actor on sets than the people making it. So by the time I'd do their indie movie, I'd have two or three more credits. Right. Um, <clears throat> so all of a sudden I was in this position and somebody said, oh, why don't you direct you should direct and i was like yeah i don't want to spend my life trying to raise money like so i don't ever want to do that 20 years later now it's all i do is try to raise money uh <laughs> so I, I had never edited anything and i so i got final cut and i took the little class and they, you know they teach you like and I, you know use the the you know razor tool and uh <laughs> and uh and that's all i and so i sat down and i started going through this footage and i just i couldn't see anything it just seemed like so much and my brain could not organize it it couldn't handle it so what i could do is find a few moments that were i love this moment and i love this moment and i made a timeline i put those moments and I put the music that i was imagining and then I started sending it to people to try to get help or mm -hmm. to try to raise money. And, um, and through this course, there was this, uh, an agent at UTA who saw and said, oh, I have this editor who I think would do this for a low amount of money. And, and so I met with her and she had done a few like name movies and she's like, I watched it. I love it. I'd love to do it. You know, I understand you don't have much money we'll figure that out and i'll totally help you so i was like oh my god my life's solved i found like a real editor who i mean she'd done things like i don't want to name her name because it doesn't go good but um but but she <laughs> but you know but she had done like big movies ed yeah. harris kind of stuff like okay. you know and uh and so uh so she's like i'm just finishing up this documentary and uh but uh you know so um, probably in another week we'll be ready another week and so i'm like okay and so i start saying uh, what i'm gonna do for her is i'm gonna 
if in since I can't pay her a lot, I'm going to set up an editing suite in her home and I'll buy the equipment for her and that will be a part of her pay. Yeah. Nice. So I go out, I'm credit carding up Best Buy, like getting her all this shit that I wish I had and, you know, giving it to her and like, here you go, I got it all set up. Well, her next week went on for a year. So for a year, <laughs> I was like in this purgatory where I, I thought we were taken care of, but we weren't. Right. So after about a year, I mean, th but it was extreme. It was like six months we were like tomorrow when I would show up. She's like, "Oh shit, I gotta go back." They wanted to, but and they were paying her a lot, mm -hmm. so I couldn't do anything. So <clears throat> I give it to a guy I knew, Trevor, who used to be the uh, head programmer of Sundance. This little promo, and Trevor is like, "Oh, this is great. Yeah, let me send this to my friend." So um, I, this this guy who was a really successful editor as well at the time he had edited storytelling like a bunch of Todd Solondz movies and stuff like this like wow great well it turns out he has a place he had a, a place in New York called the Edit Center <clears throat> the Edit Center was a place where people would pay him a bunch of money to learn how to edit on a real movie so mm -hmm. big, <laughs> big finger quotes <laughs> right there right so my movie being the real movie gets accepted into his program and and he gives me this talk that's like look I, i'll use your film you know the students will all be practicing editing different scenes of your film and then me or my like you know other advanced editors will we'll go and we'll clean up and we'll do an edit over the whole movie do you mind participating and helping the the you know working with the editors and helping them learn how to edit and i'm like okay so this is like a three month program or three and a half months or something. And we're getting through it. And I'm like going, oh my God, like nothing is, is getting done. There's not one scene that like looks good. It all just is shitty. And I'm like, well, he's going to fix it later. <clears throat> we get to the halfway point and I'm just kind of now giving the time to the people to try to be nice. Right. right. Cause they're good people. I'm making friends. One of them actually, uh, was it that was in that class <laughs> it went on to become one of the impractical jokers oh okay. yeah, 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 yeah interesting yeah. yeah so joe joe gatto was one of the guys in that class who was an intern editor at this time <laughs> trying to learn how to edit so uh so we're getting towards the end of the first session of class three months in they're like oh there's so much footage it's not going to be done in this first session we need a second session so i was like okay, I'm in New York. I'm living here now. It's fine. I've got friends here. It's good. I live in New York. Great. Okay, we'll do another session. The second session happens and it's a, still a, like the movie gets done and it's unwatchable. It's just this. I, and I think ah, this is so awful. I don't know how I can ever make a movie out of this, but I know that that's not the way. Right. And so then he doesn't ever come to the class. He's never around. It's all run by other people, the, the, the boss guy. And, uh, and I don't even get a conversation with him at the end of the whole thing. And I'm just talking to the other people that work there who are basically not paid to work there, but they get to teach and learn and stuff. Right. Right. So, so, and then they, so they hand off and to one, and I said, okay, well, you're like the best one here. Do you want to actually edit the movie with me? So I'm now living longer in New York, still just scraping money to try to keep going to live while the movie's getting edited, let alone pay for anything. And uh, 
And I don't know if you wanted this seriously fucking long story, but yeah, this is the version of the reality well, this of it. This is what we're here uh, for. <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. So months, two months, he was ready to show me his cut and it's okay. It's totally okay. There's some moments here and there that work, but overall it's still really a crappy movie. And so uh, it, it's now I'm living in New York. It's been there almost a year, time's passing. I don't know what to do. I don't have any more money to make the movie. I come back to LA. I meet up with um, one of my friends who who is very, um, he's one of the most wonderful guys. He's a great actor, also a showrunner. His name's Mike O'Malley. Um, uh, Mike O'Malley and I had acted in a movie together and we stayed friends and he was like, watched some of the stuff and he's like, dude, here and he handed me a check for i think it was like seventy five hundred dollars and does that help and i'm like dude like at that point i was like wealthy i was like you've just made me a wealthy human right. uh and and he didn't he didn't ask for anything an agreement anything he just is a lovely human um and i still owe him you know, like, uh, uh, I shouldn't bring it up, but, um, the, 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 um, so, so he offers some money and at the same time, the woman that left me hanging all this time says, Hey, I'm free. I'm free. Uh, let's do your movie. I'm so sorry. You don't even have to pay me more. Like what you did is great. And she's like, and then it goes, well, actually, I mean, I, I really working at home doesn't work. So I end up having to pay another like five grand to her, like whatever out of almost all of it ends up going to her and for setting her up in an office now. And, uh, so she goes in there, she spends five weeks, six weeks building a cut. Finally, this day, uh, happens where I come in to, to watch it. And, uh, and it's decent. It's like a step more mm -hmm. in the right direction. But it's still kind of like, feels really rough and kind of a lot of it's lazy. There's moments that are really mediocre. And I'm really like sitting. And so we leave and walk out and there's like a place not far to get drinks. And so I go, yeah, let's get a drink so I can kind of drink to try to get through this. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, fuck. And so she's like, I think we're really close. I think we're really close. And I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't know what you're thinking, but like, I, you're, you're definitely thinking something different than I'm thinking. And I don't know how to move through this moment because I'm feeling completely devastated again. And, uh, and so I'm getting more drunk. And then she says, so I think we're real close. And my, I have to, I, I have to, I have to, the next couple of weeks, I have to take, do this other job. <laughs> Um, my, my friend is, uh, producing the American version of the office. And, um, and I, he asked me if I would cut the pilot and I mean, I have to help him. It's, it should be a quick thing. And she I was like, okay, this is my out. She's gone. Yes. And so I said, boom, great. No, please go do it. And that's when I realized I had to fucking learn how to edit a movie. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I, I spent the next seven weeks not sleeping living in that uh, office and received the first migraines that i ever had in my life and um and it was torture and i i, I didn't have the capacity to to make 
decisive choices, I had to try every fucking option possible in every way with every take and every version before I could conclude, yes, that's the one. Okay, moving on. And and so it was the worst. That was the worst. If it, like I, I am so not fast at writing or editing. I'm just like uh, meticulous and, and I get stuck all the time. And so I, I, I got to the end. My friend Eric Cole, who, who played the guy that Jeremy Sisto kisses, um, it, he, he sat with me and helped a lot of the time, just keep me going. He'd bring me food and stuff because I couldn't move. I knew if I left, I might never, ever come back. Uh, and so, so yeah, so, so the day that it got finished, we watched it and we looked at each other and we're like, fuck, it, I think it works. And I cried. And then I walked and I almost like, we almost kissed, you know, uh, and, 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 and so, uh, and that was it. And, and, and then became the next whole stage, which was like the, the finishing post stuff, but, um, which took another long time, but that, that's basically a long version of the first two sections. Okay. <laughs> nice. Um, I feel like this is a good time to kind of drop down the spoiler wall. Cause they're really going to start diving into the final product basically. Um, so if you haven't had a chance to see it, there's a link in the description. Um, and then also I believe there's a link in your, uh, if you go to my website, website, yeah, you can click and watch it for free. Yeah. Um, so your options are available. Utilize them, please. Um, check it out. Uh, and we will be talking about spoilers right after this break. And we are back we're gonna be talking about some story stuff hell yeah <laughs> love story stuff i mean it's good <laughs> um and so earlier you were talking about how um you had the main like the the main cast essentially shooting their art separately yeah um and so from what i have written down the main arts <laughs> are uh judy and the body slash judy and matt um, we got Jeremy and his, uh, his cheating wife, um, in addition to Eric and Jeremy kind of hanging out. Yeah. Um, and then we have Chris's storyline with his, uh, new young girlfriend and his old, uh, older girlfriend. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those are the, the, those are the prime three. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, I really want to, I guess, start out with, uh, Let's talk about since we the whole movie is centered around the dad and the dad's body. Um, kind of talking about that whole piece uh, in that like we get a lot of um, just people coming in and talking to the body and, and having their last respects and doing the last pieces. And then also we have this whole section uh, with Judy just like chatting it up with this dead body Um I imagine that being one really fun to shoot, but also really difficult to just like uh, keep a straight face during. Well, especially since David is laying there pretending to be right. dead the whole time and he's in most of the shots. Mm -hmm. Like, and so the fact that he could pull off laying there so still and not burst out, it happened very frequently. Very infrequently. Uh, it did happen, uh, but it didn't happen too much. But there were, t yeah, there was a lot of outbursts uh, when we were shooting the movie. It was stuff, I mean, even if it wasn't necessarily right for the movie, people were just so funny right. that it was hard not to. And I always kind of had to become sort of an asshole because I did it really almost without an AD. 
So I, I had to also kind of be cracking the whip. And I pissed people off at times, but I was the only one there that was moving the ship because we couldn't afford all of the helpers uh, that you would typically have the luxury of having. So when you're the director and the AD, it doesn't, you know, it's hard to be loved. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, most of my friends, we ended up fine afterwards, but along the way, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was bumpy a little bit. Uh, but I was young and learning and, and that's how you, you realize, oh shit, sometimes you can be a, a dick and it's justified. And there's other times where you need to find a better way of getting the, the, the result that you're looking for. Yeah. Um, well, well, so what, what would be an example of that, right? Like where you, where you sort of issued being a, being a dick, as you put it, and yeah. found sort of a different tack. Like what's an example of that? Well, okay. So, so I mean, in life, very different. That's a, that, we could talk about that forever, but in that specific moment, mm -hmm. while I was still in my youth, uh, so the way I dealt with it at one time was, all right, there was this friend who was a friend of mine, but more a friend of my mom's, who she was like really dying to be a part of movies and, and stuff like this. And, and she was like, how can I help? I just want to help. I don't want any money. I just want to help. I'm like, oh, f fine. Uh, and, and I was having to micromanage everything because I didn't really have a team. I didn't have a t any teams. You know, I had my friend who was the DP who kind of I trusted and I could trust on that. But outside of that, there wasn't anything. So during those party sequences, there's a lot of extras. Mm. So I said, okay, you can help me get extras. And I, I said, and I, I said, I already ran, I, I ran ads and the ad things back in the day, whatever they were backstage West and stuff. And, um, and, and I, uh, and I said, okay, so you can check on these ads, contact all the people that come there, but please just start to reach out, post more ads. We need to try to shoot for 150 people so that 50 show up because extras are the hardest thing to get with no pay. Right. And uh, so, so she, like I was on her ass every day and she's like, oh my God, we have so many. It's going to be crazy. Like it's so many. I don't think she said it like that, but I, I but she said it in a girl voice, but the, um, the, I could hear the, 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 so she, so she's like, oh my God, it's going to be so full. You're going to be so happy. I'm like, okay, I know you think that, but please try to get more. They're not going to come. Just try harder. And, and, and so I kept pushing this. So we get to the day that is the only time I have to shoot. And the, and there's no, there's no extras. And I think there's five and I'm like, well, I can't do anything. I can't trick this out. I can't, there's no way I can fix this unless we have people. Right. And I, and I wanted to like fucking just slam her in the I can't, I'm not gonna, in the, in the face. Like, I, I wanted to, like, like, I didn't, I mean, I, I, it's not like a, with I mean words. I, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't care who it Harsh was. This language. is like any, yes. whoever that human was, I wanted to harm them. <laughs> I, I, I did not harm them. I did not harm them. I did not even say a negative thing to them. I didn't say anything that I wanted to say to them. I just went, and then, and then I said, I can't fucking shoot. Ah, oh, like I can't fucking shoot until we do something. I can't make this work. There's no way to fake this. We need it to feel like a party or the whole movie doesn't work. Right. And so everybody got the message 
that I was the first time, that was the first time, probably day four, three, three, day three, uh, that anybody had seen me like really erupt. And most of the people that knew me, I was always kind of relaxed and pretty cool and talking about their relationship problems. You know, that was my job with all of them at that time. And uh, so, um, so I went up and, and, and so Jeremy and Matt, that plays the other brother, uh, I storm up to where I had a bedroom and I was living in the house during the shoot. So I went up to where my bedroom was, which was on the second floor. And I overlooked that backyard where all the party and the people are. Mm. And so I went up there and I was not like smoking pot much these days. It was illegal then. Uh, and so, uh, so, but, um, Matt had handed me a, a joint and I didn't think twice. I just started hitting on it and hitting on it. And, and later I learned it was like extremely strong pot. And so I, I, I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God, I am fucked. I am so fucking, I can't <laughs> talk to anybody. Oh my God. And I like lay down on my bed and time's passing and I'm like, we're making a movie. Whoa, <laughs> I, I, I'm making a movie, but this is not working. And so I kind of, my head realizes like, wow, what's going on? I better go check on things. And I stand up and I look out of the window and the backyard is filled with fucking extras. Like I looked at and it's just all filled. Cause you see the movie, it looks pretty full. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, and so I'm like, oh my God, guys, look. That, like that, do you see them too <laughs> right? yeah like <laughs> it, uh, oh my god oh my god we gotta shoot we gotta shoot so i don't even i just turn and i'm running down i'm like we gotta shoot we gotta shoot and i'm so high i i don't even know what we're gonna shoot i just know we gotta move the night it's now getting dark mm -hmm. and so i run down and i'm yelling all right everybody, let's go and doing the living room scene let's go everybody inside like and so I, I get inside, and it's the scene where I play Daddy's Dead on the piano. Yeah. And um, so, so, so everybody's coming inside, and, and it's like a party now. Like, it's a real party. People are drinking and hanging out and talking about their shit, and it just happens to be that we're shooting. Right. And so everybody's doing their thing, and I'm sitting at the piano kind of waiting, and I start playing the piano, and then all of a sudden I'm just playing the piano. And like five, 10 minutes go by and I'm just playing, I'm into it. And it's like a party and everybody thinks like, and I'm like, oh shit, we got to shoot. <laughs> and and so I, I like just blurt it out. I shoot up out of the chair. I'm like, all right, we got to roll. We got to roll. Is everybody, are the cameras here? Where are we here? All right. We know you got it. We got, everybody's ready. 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 All right, let's roll. And, and so, so the, that huge sequence of me playing and singing the song and then she coming in and Jeremy and Eric having the fight and kissing and all that stuff and then him throwing me against the wall and slacking me and I'm talking to him and that whole sequence was shot with me being higher than I, <laughs> I, I than, than I had ever been in public probably uh, and somehow it's some of my favorite moments of the whole movie that is how movies get made <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the the daddy's dead song so did you uh write that like i assume yes you wrote it specifically for the movie but how long did it take for you to like get it all together uh 
Well, it was, I was writing the script and I used to do that at parties. I would just pick up a guitar. So I started doing this thing. I was at a party one time and, uh, and there was this annoying guy who was like sitting there playing the guitar and singing these songs to this girl that definitely didn't want to be listening. And he's like, oh yeah, but there's this other one, you know? And he's like, nah, 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 nah. Oh. It's always wonderful. Yeah. And he's like, he's kind of here and he's like, I'm suffering and my life is rough girls like i don't know if this guy's gonna hurt me if i try to walk away or what (laughs) right 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 so so you know there's that guy sometimes at the party that's like wants you to listen to his fucking song and and so we're at this party and it was such a good time and uh and this guy was doing that like to this girl and i was like oh god please i'm sorry how can i help her and so a little bit like he set the guitar down and so i grabbed it and i picked it up and uh so and then I was like, oh, everybody, like, my let's. Uh, where's Andrew? Because this is my friend Andrew's party. I said, oh, it's Andrew. Thank you so much for doing this. Maybe you need a song. And so I just started improvising a song. And one of the first lines I said is like, uh, oh, oh no, oh God, look, the guy picked up the guitar. Doesn't he know we don't want to hear him? We just want to sit and talk about who we are. Like, and mm. and so so I would make up these improvised songs. Mm and bring in the party, but I would make it about the people in the party, So and then make a chorus that everybody would sing along to. So it did the antithesis of like, look at my fucking song, and I'm, we wanna fuck, like, like kind of, <laughs> like, uh, like, so I started doing that. So Daddy's Dead is just that same thing, but when I was writing the script, I got to that point, I'm like, oh, we need a song here, and so I picked up a guitar and I went, uh, Daddy's Dead. And I kind of just got the melody and like a few things and I just jotted down Daddy's Dead song. Yeah. And then I I just kind of made it up. So so we we did actually had uh, six takes of the song. And I think I spliced two of the versions together at one point. Okay. Uh, so it was improvised and I tried to cut out some of my, my dumber improv. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and leave the better moments in. Yeah. Was Jeremy's rap also improvised? Hundred percent improvised. <laughs> uh huh. Yep. Yep. Uh, let's see what it else. Was so it? polished and <laughs> <laughs> like you created this powerful earworm thing because I first watched this movie what, a couple of months ago now, and I swear to God, I don't know that a day has gone by since where uh, I haven't at some point just ha- like the chorus of it just sort of wafts into my mind like a breeze and then and then leaves me. Right. But the very next day, lo and behold, that breeze just kind of comes through again like my brain is a screen door and stuff. So I, it, it worked, sir. I mean, clearly. <laughs> I think because whenever I would do it, it was always in a way of like, it's got to be short and simple so that I can get a group to know what to sing immediately. Um, which I, I, I went to, Groundlings was one of the first places I, I went to here. And at the time, Kathy Griffin was my teacher. But I was like in level zero. Like not even like maybe you get through zero. We'll think about letting you look at what one is about. And I was like just sweaty and gross and I couldn't speak and anything. I didn't know what improv was. And she was a teacher. And when I went to the show and I saw her doing that and she would just like get a few words from people in the audience and then put a, make a song about it. So I think I always like wanted to look that cool. Uh, <laughs> Every once in a while, I hit it okay, but I, a lot of clunkers. But yeah, 
Uh, well, I'm glad that you are stuck with it. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't, am I, am I glad? I don't, I feel okay about it. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's one of the, like, you know how you'll occasionally get, there'll be a song you hear on the radio or something and it'll get stuck in your head. And every time it emerges, you just get angry. <laughs> it's not like that. Yeah. Oh, good. So, <laughs> well done. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I have a few of those, but I'm not going to say them out loud. <laughs> I don't want to bring them in. Uh, right, but course. you did. So you you wrote the song, but you did. You had uh, uh, Bell and Sebastian do music for your yeah. Movie. So how did that come about? Well, again, recall that I had no money and no integrity, and so I knew I wanted to use their music in it, and they. Uh, they were playing a show at the Wiltern Theater, and after the show, I did that thing where you stand out back by the trucks, and there's other people there with shit to sign, and I, uh, and Stuart, the singer of the band, walked up to sign some things, and I said, hey, <laughs> so I, I, I know this is going to sound like some asshole talking to you, and it probably is true, but I'm making a movie, and I really want your music in it. And I'm trying to, I've messaged your companies like a hundred times and nobody's responding. So what do I do? And he goes, well, right, you seem cool. You're here, right? So I'm sure it'd be, I bet it's probably a great movie. It'd be fine. Uh, sure, you can do it. And I said, could you write that down? <laughs> and please uh, sign it. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a group of people around me going, oh, yeah, that's so cool. And so I got a piece of paper and it says, hi, I'm Stuart. Chris can use my music for his movie. <laughs> da, 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 da. And, and that's how that started. And then I sent that uh, to the Sony and their manager and I got a response. And then they're more of a, oh, fuck, what did he do? Right. Um, and <laughs> so, so, so inevitably, uh, they became my really good friends and uh still uh, i i talk to them and when they're in town i go see them they're the most adorable lovely humans on the planet i i am so blessed that they became my friends uh uh yeah it, it, it honestly it, they're they're the most humble sweet human people uh, I've come upon so yeah I got blessed to use their music and at the same time initially there were some songs from the a record by air and um, and We I was at Coachella which Bell and Sebastian was then playing and they invited me to come so we went to uh, uh, I was with the band and Oasis was playing and air was playing so I was like well fuck I got Bell and Sebastian and airs right there in the next trailer over. And I had some of their songs in the movie in the in current edit. And so I just went and talked to them and they were cool. And the manager's like, cool. So then a few months later, reaching out to them, they changed management, could never get it happening. again. so we basically just made a song that sounded somewhat in that ballpark. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that that's pretty much how the music happened. Uh, yeah, it was just doing all those things that you never want to do. Right. <laughs> you, 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 you just have to, you just go and do it. Like all of every story that you hear is like, yeah, the person went and asked. You're like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just have to go ask. 
and be persistent and somehow hope you're still likable in the end. Right. Well, that's the thing. Right? I feel like you you managed to hit and like when you hear these stories, it's like, oh, that's the one time out of, I don't know, 50,000 <laughs> right. where you're not being escorted out by security and stuff so, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, and And somehow it's just like you get blessed with some things and other things don't. But if you get it in your head, it's really, I have a hard time letting it go. So if I get something like, I don't know what this movie would be without their music at that time in my life, it just seemed wrong. So I just kept hitting it and hitting it and hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. It's just the cliche thing that you hear. And I just actually did it. Yeah. And and I, I've, I've tried to avoid that behavior my entire life. Uh, but sometimes it, if you want to do something, I don't know that there's another option. <laughs> We're, we're all sitting here internalizing this idea. Like, what famous person could I go track down and say, hey, I'm doing a, a movie. Can I put you in it? They say yes. And then I very hastily have to assemble a movie for them to be in. It'll work. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. There's nothing that can go wrong. You just got to be as charming as Chris. I think that's, that's the solution. You know? Uh, some days are better than others, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, at the same time, to be totally honest, like I lost friends along the way of the process. Like before the movie, uh, Jeremy and Matt, my two brothers and I were best friends, um, separately. Matt was my friend over here and Jeremy was my friend over here. And I had other really, really close friends, but they were amongst the closest and, and through a bunch of circumstances, by, by the time the movie came out, Matt and I were no longer talking. That was all his, his, his choice, not mine. Uh, and uh, Jeremy ended up kind of like, we love each other, but there was a bunch of stuff that happened from he was trying to help get funding and brought in these people and things didn't go well uh, for me with what the people wanted and how they wanted to work. And so they made me not look so amazing to, to him okay. and he got their story much before mine and so um, and and it made and the things that i was doing were not bad but from over here if it was twisted a tiny bit it would look bad right uh so but i was really just checking up to see these people's legitimacy and checking where their funding was coming from and who was funding it and so i was doing research because i am now liable and but it made it look like i was being sneaky mm -hmm. and trying to work behind their back but i wasn't i their the, their financiers even after they fell out still wanted to give me money and i said i can't take it uh because i can't do that for jeremy and them uh, but yeah. it's still our our relationship got affected so so you go through these things and and it's a big part of your life and and some things come for the good and some things leave yeah. and i think as you get older you 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 figure out how to manage the people better uh but when you're in your mid-20s i was uh i had never directed a movie I, I had never you know had to manage people at that level i had just done a lot of acting with all of them and i thought we all were fine being the way we were being and it turned out later, oh, they didn't, I wasn't seeing what they were seeing. Right. Mm. So, so I want to go, I want to go back a little bit because we, we sort of left off in the chronology of this movie. You got an edit 
yeah. that you were actually happy with. <laughs> so what from there, you've got you've got your picture locked essentially and mm-hmm. you've got now your music in place. Yeah. What are the final steps as far as sort of uh, finishing post and then getting the movie out there in front of people? So you need to do post sound and you need sound design and mixing and you need color and at the time you need to do some sort of like processes to make the video look better like because at the time the video still looked pretty shitty so you try to do these processes and stretch it to hd like things that cost money from a post house things that are hard to get as favors because the equipment's really expensive for people to do it back then especially so uh what happened so I was uh, finished with the cut, playing with sound stuff. I found a guy who has gone on to do every huge movie on the planet, but as a sound design and sound mixer. Um, Yeah. And so he he gave me a very good rate uh, working outside of his company. He was with... uh, I can't remember this company, but it's like the, it's one of the biggest sound houses in town. And, and he did it outside of work in the off hours, uh, because I couldn't afford one tenth of, of what they had. And so, um, so I had him helping deal with all the, the beginning levels of mix and all this stuff. And then my, one of my friends who I had met years before, uh, from Austria happened to be here and they were shooting something for the Academy Awards. And so I would always help them out or we would always see each other because we got really close when he was living here years before. And he came and saw it and he was like, oh my God, I love this movie. This is so good. This is so good. Bring it to Vienna and we'll pay for the post finishing. Hmm. And so I said, okay. And so I got the sound from Tom Ozanich is his name, Ozanich. Uh, and he, he and went to Vienna, uh, did the final bringing the sound together with stuff. And then we had to do a bunch of shit. And basically what happened when I got there is the movie was in Final Cut Pro, mm-hmm. but all finishing stuff at that time was all in Avid or, or high-end versions. And there was no good way to convert this to that. Right. So what did I get to do? I got to learn the controls on the Avid and I got to rebuild the movie and frame match it each clip and I, fun. and I had my computer pl- over here playing the final cut frame by frame while I matched the frame by frame up here because the sound is already fucking mixed right so I couldn't get a frame off it and when you put it here and then tried to sync it it, it linked the link it link it together it was like frames were off yeah so I had to go through and frame spot this took me two and a half weeks like of sitting in a fucking computer in Vienna room all night not sleeping and so that happened and um and then i got to go into this place and do the color work which is the first enjoyable thing of the whole process to be honest with you like (laughs) because all of a sudden you sit there and these guys are amazing and you're like oh could it be a little bit less green here and it's like right there and like me and and all of a sudden it just makes amazing shit happen Mm -hmm. and all you do is say it uh unlike everything else on the planet like Everything else, there's this whole thing. Oh, just a quick edit. No. Uh, but color was the funnest stuff ever. And you're kind of relieved at that point. You're like, I did it. It's done. Ah, pretty. Uh, and then uh, and then we did the transfer things, and, and that was it. And the film was done. So I was in Austria for a number of months finishing it. So I went from 
starting in LA, going to New York, almost a year, coming back to LA, uh, finishing time a handful of months, then to Vienna for a number of months, and then I had my movie done. <laughs> easy. Yeah, yeah. so easy. Great. Yeah. Uh, so, so once your movie's done, yeah. and you can look at it, and you're like, oh, all right, I'll, 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 can, I'll keep living. That's good. That's good. I feel good about this. What, what then, uh, now that you have it, it's completed, what's the process like of putting it in front of people? So I give it back to my friend Trevor, who was a programmer at Sundance at that time. And he kind of concluded pretty quickly. He, he, he said, look, you can, we can definitely find a place for your film to screen, but realize, like, you may just get washed up here. However, I'm programming this other f festival a couple months later and called Cine Vegas, and Dennis Hopper is the head of it, and it gets so much press and so much attention, I can give you an opening night slot. And I was like, okay, uh, <laughs> fine. So, so, so then I had a number of months because it was like October or just before October and, and, and Cine Vegas was in June. And so I had all these months and it was like, okay, I am done. I just did this. It took years. I am done. I, I, and question the whole time, is my whole life going to be trying to get one thing done and just fail? Mm -hmm. And you, you get so far in, you don't have an option anymore. Like you're going to either die intentionally or you're going to finish somehow. Right. And, um, and so I said, okay, cool. I'm going to go to Thailand and be there just maybe for a month and a half, two months. I'm going to rest. I'm going to refresh and figure out what the hell I'm going to do next. And uh, so I landed in Thailand the, the uh, day of the tsunami. <laughs> and I had booked a hotel in the city called Kolak that was hit the hardest. Mm. And so I was driving up as it was happening and basically got there in, in all, to see all of the remnants. Uh, so so I, I spent the next three weeks uh, trying to have uh, moving bodies around and, and helping the cleanup effort uh, and then wrote a book about it. <laughs> so... So yeah, so that happened. And then I came back to uh, Cine Vegas, where all of a sudden, for the first time, I got validated for the movie. Uh, it won Best Movie Award. Dennis Hopper gave me the award. Uh, and also, I hit a pot again. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, and I felt cool, you know, for a minute. And uh, it was great. And then the film went on to win... I don't know how many exactly, but it was very close to 10 film festivals. And they, I got to fly around all over the world and I had no money, but they'd keep flying me to festivals. And so I got done with all of this year of festivals. And then everybody in town that knew of the movie wanted to meet. Um, and inevitably I, I went with CAA who then ignored me for six years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So don't go with the biggest agents until you are in the bigger category. Mm. And one movie doing well at a film festival does not equate to that. It needs to be either mass critical acclaim or significant hope at box office, you know. 
but you learn and each step you you know each one of these things was the next learning stage it took me a year of getting back with no money taking meetings pitching to every company everyone seemingly saying yes to realize at the end of the year nobody said yes they just said yes we want to be a part of things that you do hoping that i'm going to make something happen right. and then they want to be there if if you do right uh and that's the reality of it so you know until you've kind of proved to be a commodity like the the the, the concept that there's this magic in or even an entitlement thinking i've done these things it's like no you've not done much of anything that motivates people to help take on your career and invest time in you until you have either brought in such a significant amount of box office money or sales or or you've won every fucking festival like can and this and then your film sold and made a bunch of money then they're going to be like okay proof of concept we will take a risk on you mm -hmm. But just because you do a bunch of good things, until you prove that you're so amazing that you are bringing them money, they are not there to babysit you. They're trying to, you know, get a first class ticket for themselves. Right. You know, they, they got things to do. <laughs> uh. Thank you for sharing the story of... Uh, of your movie and kind of your journey and giving us those fun anecdotes. <laughs> I, I want to ask you because you and you referenced because along the way there are gains, there are losses. And one of the, the lessons you mentioned learning was as you get a little bit older, learning how to sort of manage uh, the clash of personalities yeah. a little bit more efficiently. So you were talking about how around the time you were making this movie was when the first time like HD cameras were becoming widely available and accessible to, to mass consumers. Now, of course, uh, years later, you can make a movie on your phone. You can shoot for any, everybody has totally. a, a 4k camera in their pocket, right? So more and more and more people who are like the exact same age that you were when you made this movie are trying to make their first features, right? Using the technology that we all carry around now. Based on the lessons that you've learned, both that you learned making this movie in the moment and things that you've come to as you reflect as, uh, as the years have passed, what would you tell people who are like in their mid-20s trying to make their first feature now? Like what, what would you want to impart to them? There's a bunch of layers to it because at the time that I was doing it, YouTube started in 2006. You know, my movie was done... Uh, it's an entirely different time. It's an entirely different arena. Films very rarely, you know, festivals aren't the same as what they were. Festivals are more of a showcase for bigger movies. The 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 thing of selling your movie at a festival, yeah, there's a couple that'll happen, but it's not like what it was at that time. So now you're in a in an arena that has so many platforms. And you have the accessibility to every piece of, you know, equipment you need to, to make it that if you want to make something now, uh, you, you have no excuse but being lazy. Um, now, here's, here's the, what, the mistake most people make, and I still make this mistake. But what it is, you have to decide, do I want to make something or do I want to develop something that maybe could get made one day mm -hmm. those are two entirely different things within memory of my father i knew i had these friends thirty thousand dollars 
and this sort of concept. So I morphed everything to fit my resources. And then the things I didn't have music, I went out and fought for. Um, you have to decide, like, if you write something and create something that suits your resources, which you have accessible to you, that is, uh, that's how you prove that you are a commodity is to say, here's what I have to deal with. How can I make something amazing out of this that proves that I'm capable? Then you can grow to another level where maybe somebody saw that and you got so much advertising or hits on your thing that you posted that now somebody's like, oh, they're, they're good. I would invest a little bit of money in that. I would partner with that. Then you say, oh, I have these resources. What am I looking at here? What do I, how can I work with this, in this apartment, with you guys, with these things and turn it into something good? That is the most direct route. The other version that you're doing when you're sitting and you're imagining spaceships and fucking fireflies that talk and come at your face <laughs> and stuff, like, you, you, you know, you, that is now you have set yourself up to need a whole bunch of help unless you have the money or you're going to build every moment of the CGI, the animation, the graphics and do it all yourself on your computer because you can. Mm -hmm. So set yourself up to get progress. If you just set yourself up to need people, good fucking luck getting anybody to read your script. Yep. It's fucking hard to get people to take the time to read your script period if if even if you're like kind of like have a track record so come in with none like go get them let me know how it goes it's possible but it's like me getting bell and sebastian right. you have to do that again and again and again so it's a lot easier to say oh you got to see this guy's stuff he made then they click on they can watch oh if it's good they keep watching get somebody to read now it's like I don't know. Do you want to read my script or give you an en enema? Like, which, which, <laughs> which, which sounds better to you? Um, and most often, I don't know if I'm picking the script. Right. It, you know, it depends how much I like you. Right. Um, and, and that's the, the unfortunate reality. So you got to think each step of the way. Like, you just saw me do a very long-winded breakdown of just each process of the movie when I didn't have the money. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 delusional you're setting yourself up for such a hill to climb to say i'm going to create this thing that requires 60 million dollars right what have you done that for one like you got it, 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 though though it's not though it's not built in stone that this is a structured career where you start off as an assistant and then you get to be an employee and then you're a, you know, you know, your own manager and then you're the assistant of the CEO. Like it is still kind of like that, but the difference is, 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 um, you can jump the ranks. You can go from zero to Academy Award in one year because of that possibility. Everybody thinks that's what you're doing, right. but for the most part, all of these people that work in the, all of these offices that are executives, they come and go and they don't want to lose their job. They don't want to make a mistake. They, they're fighting just to keep jobs at the studios and at Netflix and all these places. So you think that they're going to make time to read your script? Who are you and why? And it does, I don't know. Why, why are you talking to me? Uh, I'm trying to eat before my next meeting and I got to pick up my kid. Like, so 
understand the reality. You inhibit yourself from progress if you only set yourself up to need people so much. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's been I mean, like that's been my personal philosophy as well for a long time, right? Like that's part of what I think the partially what the impetus was for doing this show in the first place, right? Like you said, like nobody, <laughs> yeah. like nobody's lining up to give you a ton of money to do your thing, so you have to invest in yourself. Part of why, like I dug Dolomite is my name so much, is because it is a story about like, okay, well, who's going to believe in me if I don't believe in me, right? Who's going to line up to back what I'm doing if I am not aggressively backing what I'm doing the way the way you did right like trying to pull together all of these resources with with nothing strictly on the back of your belief yeah. in the thing your need to get it done so I really like that and I, I agree with you completely right like we're all carrying around 4k cameras in our pocket now so what is the excuse right if you have an idea go do it I like that a bunch yeah and I think that's a good place to uh, kick me of, out. Yeah, get us. <laughs> yeah. Get this guy yeah. off my. No. Yeah. Um, no he this, said patriarch. <laughs> get him out of here. <laughs> no, this, it's a good place to to kind of jump off and uh, and really leave our people with something to think about. Um, do you have anything that you would like to plug before we head out? Um. Well. Uh. <laughs> Tony Robbins does this workshop called Date with Destiny. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you know, it's something to think about. Anything of yours you want to plug? Oh, uh, <laughs> do I? Uh, no, you know, I mean, all of this shit's on my website. And um, and it looks like I'll be in Greece a lot this year because of the book, uh, Sons of Chaos stuff. Uh, but no. No, I'll let you know. Okay. Right. Yeah, I, I, I do have a conference call uh, tomorrow with the head of the National Opera in Greece oh. about uh, uh, either a musical or opera version of Sons of Chaos. Uh, That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that would be insane. That, that actually gets me excited. Yeah. So uh, make sure that you go to Chris's website, which is chrisjames.com. That's J-A-Y-M-E-S. Uh, and also check out Sons of Chaos. It's dope. We talked about it a while ago, um, and it's amazing. So uh, make sure you hit that up if you haven't already, which you should have. You should have bought it right when we talked about it because it was dope. But uh, it's cheaper now. Like on Amazon, it's actually like $15 cheaper on sale. So it's good that you didn't if you didn't. That's right. Do it now. You know, forget what I just said. Do it now. Um, but yeah, uh, make sure to hit up Chris. Uh, he's a good guy. And he's doing some great things. Um, you can also hit us up uh, at Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Uh, but also, you can hit us up on our personal social media. Lex, where can they find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at TheLexMichael. And you can find me at Tari J, T-E-U-R-I-J-A-Y. Thank you again for joining us, Chris. This is really fun. Yeah, no, it's always good to see you. Yeah, okay. it's good to see you too. <laughs> um, glad to have you back on the show, man. Um, and until we see you again, this has been the retrospective that is introspective. And now you have a new perspective. Go make your movie, and if you accost celebrities in alleyways to do it, don't blame us for that. That's on you. That's all your choices, man. Yeah. Also, don't don't wait until they're in an alley. <laughs> do it somewhere public, yeah. please. Yes. But I mean, unless it works out. <laughs> <laughs>
That's right. true. Then it, you, you, uh, uh, Chris James did it, so you too will be that one in 50,000 or so for whom it works out, and you'll have your Oscar this year. No, spend money on their show and then accost them. <laughs> show them you're willing to invest a little bit. Anyway, make your thing. We believe in you.